what is up? This is Major Grunge with a Major Grunge audio experience. Grunge versus all of reality. I'm here with a very special guest, Carlito Carls, someone I met through Twitch, but who is also a content creator on multiple platforms. Uh, I would love for you to introduce yourself. Thank you, firstly, for having me on. I actually feel very blessed to be here because I've just been witnessing your mind from afar. <laughs> um, but yes, Carlito Carls, but you can call me Carly or Carls. I don't mind. Um, okay. I am a content creator, uh, but I do work full time in content partnerships with a company called Fandom, which was formerly Wikia. So that's my full time. Oh, um, I actually didn't know yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah, so I work primarily with gaming clients um, in the gaming space on our platform, um, which is a platform that houses, you know, 420,000 communities like a Wikipedia, but more focused on pop culture. So just kind of aligning those marketing campaigns with the audiences that live and breathe um, on our platform. So, you know, that's my career. That's my nine to five. But yeah, content creation is definitely my, my side hustle and or passion, moreover. Um, but right now I'm actually taking a little step back because I think there's a lot I want to do with it and I can't actually put my finger on it. So I'm just taking a little break for now. I've actually kind of heard that sentiment echoed um, around a lot of people. So from my perspective uh, on Twitch, which I would say is the pillar of my content, um, mm. there, the platform's changing a lot. Not only like recently, you know, there's, there's kind of a big, or a lot more people are being political on Twitch, uh, which mm. is I think a good thing. But I mean, you know, even far before that, I think that the uh, I almost want to say like the meta of the platform has changed a lot in terms of 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 kind of what people uh, expect uh, as as entertainment on Twitch or what's valuable as entertainment on Twitch. And mm -hmm. uh, I know a lot of people that are kind of taking a step back and reevaluating and like re, you know, re remaking kind of their vision um, and, and, you know, trying to kind of fit into a way of doing Twitch that maybe isn't what Twitch has always been known for. Yeah, for sure. I just I, I seem to have noticed that. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm completely with you. I feel like the game has changed so drastically in even less than three years in terms of what Twitch has to offer for its creators um, and its viewers. So viewers' expectations are completely different than what they may have been three, five years ago with the Twitch experience. Um, I think it's definitely for the better. But it's pushing content creators to do more than potentially they ever had previously expected for themselves. Um, I feel like people understand that they need to have a social presence, a YouTube presence, variety to an extent. You know, if they if they aren't someone who can just fall into the esports competitive side of of this platform, which I mean wasn't really what Twitch was at its genesis, but you know feels as though it's moving in that way because it's the easiest thing to for companies to capitalize on. Um, it's just, it's just a whole different ball game. Um, personally, I felt like I entered into it being a bit of a people pleaser in a way. So I felt like while I was authentically being the self that I, I wanted to be and, and who I believe I am, I still didn't feel like that my content was representing that. And it ended up being inconsistent. And I just felt like there was a bit of a void there. Um, and I could be doing more. So yeah, it's left a lot of questions in my mind. I get that. I get that. I've uh, I've been involved and in, I would say almost like a different I don't know like a different subculture in Twitch uh it's it kind of has a lot to do with early on I I got involved with like some of these <laughs> I heard someone call it deep Twitch recently um, Oh my god <laughs> like I don't know I don't think that's actually a thing but it cracked me up 
uh, you know, creators. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Clone Corp at all. He was kind of the guy I met early yeah. on that really uh, changed the way I created. And so then I started meeting some just like other, other, other cats in like these, I don't know, bizarre sort of adult swim-esque streams. I don't know how to explain it uh, exactly because they're not all the same, but they're all, you know, similarly kind of uh, uh, off the beaten path, uh, oftentimes weird, but, um, but, but fun, you know, for the right audience. A lot of people don't like it, but a lot of people do. And so that's been kind of my culture on Twitch, but it's also not by, not by any means like the, the main culture on Twitch. Right. Yeah. No, but I do know what you mean. And I did, I, I watched some clone corp, corp recently and I, I loved what he was doing. I have absolutely nothing but time for, you know, if we want to say creators in the deep Twitch, um, <laughs> because I do like that style. I'm very... I am, you know, an adult swim fan. I watched a lot of Eric Andre in my time. I grew up on the cartoons, uh, you know, you know, Dr. Steve Brule, you know, even my music taste has been formed by adult swim very much into Flying Lotus, Thundercat, like those kinds of, you you know, so that area of, you know, internet and TV resonates with me. Um, So even in a way, it's like something I I would strive to apply myself to, but I would never want it to be something that wasn't authentic or like I was pushing too hard to become a part of one category on this platform, which I think a lot of content creators are actually doing um, and in a way kind of disadvantaging themselves. Oh, yeah. I mean, I definitely I do think people sort of pigeonhole themselves, so to speak. But um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I uh, you know, I could talk about Twitch for days. One thing I'm really <laughs> curious about, though, and I've been talking about this a lot recently. I talked about it a lot uh, during the last you know, stream with a lot of discussions. Twitter is perpetually an object of both fascination and uh, disgust for me. And I never really know what to think about it because I like it, but I also hate it. And uh, you, I think, first of all, as far as like, quote unquote, streamer Twitter, uh, I know you have been around much longer than I there. And I think I would say maybe are more involved. I like, I don't know. I'm I'm in a, I, I don't, I don't really touch it much, but I know you're like in it. And I'm curious about your thoughts. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, ash- I'm ashamed um, that I am so deep into it, but I'm delighted that you've come to me because <laughs> I feel like I do have a couple of takes on it. And it's made more hilarious by the fact that you're speaking to someone who's kind of seen multiple pillars of what Twitter is because there's streamer Twitter and then there's basketball Twitter and then there's stand Twitter and then there's yeah. politics Twitter. Like there's so many Twitters that you can be a part of. I've personally been a part of stan twitter before i came <laughs> to twitch okay uh, yeah okay specifically ariana grande stan twitter oh, um wow. loud and proud i'm just gonna say it uh <laughs> so i've seen a lot of the toxicity that is rampant on this platform yeah um the thing with streamer twitter is personally i just want to preface this by saying i do not in any way think that a presence on twitter is a presence on twitch or success you know vice oh, versa yeah. that, I 100% that's agree. just yeah, it's just not. I mean, you're a perfect example of that, really. Yeah. Um, if, maybe. If you're looking, Perhaps, I yeah. Think well, so. I think so by numbers and engagement and what you're putting out, it's just not representative of you know w- what you have on Twitter, and it. I don't think that that you know it shouldn't mean anything really. The fact is, and you know, this is coming from someone who works in marketing and has for the last six years. You know, when you're looking at things like content partner partnerships or influencer partnerships and stuff like that, that's maybe when a platform like Twitter could be its most valuable. Um, 
but if we're just talking about everyday streamer Twitter, um, I just think it's, I don't think it's valuable for anyone at all. And in fact, I think it soils <laughs> a lot of what is so great about the Twitch experience and the content creation experience. Um, further to that, it's just a, it's just a vacuum, really. <laughs> it's like, it's more or less a cycle of the same thought written about 24,000 times in a slightly different way. It doesn't feel like anyone's saying anything that makes them particularly bold or brave or groundbreaking in, in what we do at all. Um, is which is the saddest cyclical. part. It is. It's extremely cyclical. And yeah, it's just in two. I was kind of like thinking about this earlier. You can break down cyclical behavior on Twitter into kind of like two perspectives, you know, if we're speaking about, uh, you know, the po the political side that we're seeing right now, you know, if we're cycling important information for awareness, um, there's kind of like no avoiding that message. So that's kind of like a good bucket, right? Right. Yeah, um, yeah for sure. Absolutely. I've been getting so much news from Twitter. Yeah, exactly. But the other perspective is, you know, on a day to day, maybe streamer Twitter basis, people are, if they choose to be just staying put in an echo chamber and, and not really using a global resource to its full potential. Um, and they're all just kind of sitting there like, you know, hand in hand or, you know, petting each other's backs for, for saying the same thing. And it just I don't know, it just gets very depressive and not very motivating from a from a creator perspective. Yeah, I think that's a big reason. I remember right when I first started streaming, I was like, oh, cool. There's this whole Twitter community of streamers like gee whiz, you know, a bunch of uh, <laughs> new friends. And then like the more I saw it, the more I gradually became cynical on it. And then, uh, you know, yeah. that just came to the point now where I'm like, they're all liars. And, I, uh -huh. and well, I do, there's just like, I can really, there's so many posts that I can tell are manufactured to like farm engagement. And cause I know, uh, cause I've seen them like 18 different times with more or less the same formatting. And I'm just yeah. like, God, you know, like, God damn it. You know? And then, and it's like you said earlier, I, I mean, a lot of people ask me now, I've been streaming for a year and I've been doing pretty well. Um, mm. People ask me for advice on, you know, various different things. And I think what I've been telling them more than anything else, my experience with Twitter, and like you said, there is a value, a strong value in Twitter for content partnerships. But in terms of like stream growth and community development, I personally think it's a lot more valuable to use Twitter to, well, engage with people you'd like to get to know better or like to build a relationship with. And then like, you know, maintaining engagement and like letting your community know like people that have already discovered you. Um, mm. you know, keeping the communication going with them. And I do think there is discovery on Twitter, but from my mm. experience, um, you know, I have, I have a few friends that have like gone viral on streamer Twitter or whatever, and they do get like a big boost in numbers for like, you know, a week to two weeks tops, but they usually disappear. Um, because I think part of Twitter's nature is that it's, it's very much like chasing the, tr the next trend. And so like the viewers mm -hmm. that are like kind of tied to streamer Twitter, if you will, their interests yeah. are are not as much about the content as they are about the maybe the drama or whatever it is. Um, so yeah, yeah that's been my Absolutely. experience, and I could be wrong, but that's that's kind of what I've seen. No, I think it's I think it's a completely valid point to make, and I think the people. What's funny is you know a lot of people criticize the engagement farming, you know, Twitter posters or you know just content creators on Twitch that are big on Twitter. The fact of the matter is, if you took the time to kind of just set them aside and say, do you know what you're doing? They mm -hmm. absolutely do. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Like the, I'm sure they, they do. They know. It's just the difference is people who want to have this authentic presence where their Twitter is much like their Twitch and the fact that it represents them completely is what they are doing from a creative standpoint, or they just want that quick hit going viral, getting those surface level viewers, um, you know, from a maybe 
drama fueling or just there's just a random question post just like pineapple on pizza like that yeah. thing comes up yeah, you know that's yeah. a, <laughs> that's that's what always pisses me off <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like seriously why are we it's still old. talking about pineapple on pizza this is like an old meme i don't know like uh, yeah it is it's a meme and it's um it's you know and i you know i'm not gonna sit here and and say that i'm above it i 100 yeah, yeah. percent i mean it's, done it is like social this. media marketing you know to an extent i i get it i i do i just you know, and I've read plenty of, of, of business literature. I'm kind of like a self-educated business kind of entrepreneur. I, that's what I would say, uh, you know, Love entrepreneur, that. quote unquote. But yeah, I mean, I've, I've, I didn't go to business school, but I, I have read so much on my own, you know, and, and chased after what I, you know, what I found to be some of the truly good literature. And, you know, everything I've read on, on social media marketing does talk about this. And I know it, you know, it does. I mean, it is good for your social media numbers. And I guess... As cynical as I am about it, if someone's goal is to, um, you know, build a brand where social media is a big part of what they're pitching to companies, you know, I guess that makes sense, right? Mm. I suppose mm. for me, my social media, uh, just I don't, I don't want to use it like that, partially just because I don't care for social media all that much. But um, sure. so my priorities are very different. But then again, you know, you're right; they do know what they're doing, and there's an intention behind it. Yeah. And I don't, I think now, I mean, with the partner program as it is on Twitch, I know it's something that they reference, yeah, um, but sure. I don't think it's a hindrance if it's not something that you have. Uh, there are partners who have been on Twitch for a very long time um, who don't even have a Twitter and, and don't utilize that, that function. And I think that's completely fine. I mean, that's not, Twitch is not about Twitter, Twitch is about Twitch. And yeah. um, I think they want to see content creators utilizing all that they are putting so much time and effort to giving uh, people to use uh, from a viewing perspective and a streaming perspective. So, yeah, it's just but it is becoming it's really insidious. It's really cyclical. You can see the key players. That's the one thing yeah, I, I get very can, fascinated about. It's like you can see the key players. You can you can see everything like pretty much everyone is quite comfortable putting their cards out on the table when it comes to to, um, you know, social climbing and clout chasing as everyone's putting it. Um, <laughs> yeah. But it's like you, you can see what everyone's liking and commenting on. But, yeah, there's there's people who are, you know. They're, they, they're very comfortable in their in their little uh, vacuums on Twitter and people are there just bigging them up because they think that's what it takes. And it's just, you know, for me, I, I'm taking a step away from from that side of it because I've I've found that, you know, it's kind of served its purpose for me. I rested on Twitter when I took a really long hiatus from streaming. It was about a year long when I got this job over in Los Angeles and I moved here from Australia. So I was doing a lot of well, stuff. I actually didn't know yeah. that either. Well yeah, I have a friend yeah. that just moved, I think, from Los Angeles to Australia. So that's wild. Oh, crazy. <laughs> yeah, 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 it's been the like to say <laughs> moving in this time frame. I mean, I moved in the last 12 months, right. you know, June 10th of 2019 is when I moved. So this has been the craziest first year in America that I could have ever expected, could not expect. Oh, um, wow. Yeah, absolutely. That's yeah, yeah that's truly wild. I can't even imagine because I've been living here for a long time. And yeah, OK, wow. I mean, I've been living here forever, ever since uh, I was born. But okay. yeah, yeah, it's, no, that's very true. That's got to be an interesting. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. An understatement of the century. But when during that time, um, Twitter was my way of, of continuing to connect with streamers and ensure that I was still a part of the community in, in some regard, because I was, as you said earlier, the discovery of it is still very much there. So I was discovering a lot of streamers that, you know, I've been friends with for for months and months and months now, 
because I was, you know, a part of it uh, to some degree. I just felt like I needed to be a part of it. So by the time that I actually put my camera on to go live for the first time in a year, you know, I was streaming to maybe 30 plus people. You know, I got to a thousand followers within a month from 200 followers, you know, and I had a thousand followers on my Twitter from that time. So I was still trying to like grind. If we want to put numbers on, I was still trying to grind through it. Yeah. Um, so that it wasn't just such a lackluster start when I decided to to get back in the thick of it. Um, so it was really useful for me over that period of my life. But now it's distracting. I, I personally feel like I am entirely distracted yeah. by the success of a video that I post on Twitter over the success of a stream um, when I'm actually there and present and doing it for my viewers. And I just when I realized that it was it was kind of a sign for me to just take take pause, I suppose. I uh, that's kind of my experience is that it's kind of an energy vampire more often than not. I actually <laughs> block and mute a lot of people, not even because I dislike them, but just because their posts are like draining to me. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, it's like you said, for me, my main focus is like 100 percent of, of the content I push out. Um, you know, the stream and then and then the podcast right behind that. This podcast is newer for me, so it's like it's still working its way up. But um, mm. and I, I just see I see my social media as like quite tertiary to all that. Uh, Discord yeah. is is a place I spend a lot of time as well. But that's you know that's well. First of all, I really enjoy Discord. Um, but yeah. second of all, you know it's because I can talk to everyone that hangs out in my streams. You know, people that I've built um a lot of rapport with. Uh, and it's it's nice, you know, it's like a group of friends. But uh, yeah, Twitter is a you know like it can be a potentially a lot more insidious. Well, of course, right now, actually, I would say I've been using Twitter more than ever. Um, mm. you know, the past three four days because. It's where I, I can find a lot of like news in real time for what's going on in the protests. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. I completely agree with that. That and yeah, to, to to preface like everything that I'm saying is totally outside of how Twitter is being utilized over the past four days. To your point, because I'm the same way. I've been up late just consuming everything I can because <laughs> this is the first time I think in in our history as people. Um, Let's put it this way. I feel, and this might be a reaching statement, but I feel like what we're witnessing right now is probably having the same effect that televising uh, the Vietnam War did. Oh, yeah. You know, that's a good point, um, because that that was like a landmark moment in the protesting of war. Right. Of course, people right. could actually see what was going on. It, it, you know, it wasn't easy to sweep under the rug. Um, mm. and like like yeah. this is, you know, a lot of a lot of protests are swept under the rug. And mm. one thing I've realized through Twitter, and some of this is conspiracy ass, but I believe it's 100% true. There's interesting like narratives that are pushed out by, you know, maybe various media outlets, maybe mm -hmm. prominent figures um, that are, uh, you know, attempting to suppress the protests in one way or another. One of the narratives is like, uh, you know, the first narrative you saw was like, oh, they're looting and rioting, you know, mm -hmm. and then they saw that the looting and rioting didn't work, that people were like, no, like it's still, you know, important. And they're like trying different things. And I, I feel like one of the one of the other things they try and do is like talk about how, oh, the protests are over and we're cleaning up to make it seem yes. like the movement has died. And that's, you know, it seems like it seems like an innocent enough post. Right. They're like, oh, right. you know, cleaning up. But really what it's saying is like, oh, yeah, the protests are over. You can all go home now. Like, don't, you know, don't come out because the protests are over. People are Correct. still coming out. And so so I've seen I've seen so much through through monitoring Twitter, not only the actual news, but also like the misinformation and the deception. Um, mm. It's been very interesting, actually. It's been a very interesting study in, in uh, you know, disinformation campaigns for me, as well as 
sort of independent journalism really a lot, a lot of uh, a lot of people that are are protesting have become a lot more reliable than than many of the media outlets I consume uh, in terms of like the kind of you know knowledge they push out. Absolutely. I was in a, a meeting earlier in the week uh, with a few people from work and I said as someone with a bachelor's degree in journalism I don't think I'd ever say this but now more than ever we're relying on citizen journalists over our standard media outlets and we absolutely need to. Um, I've never seen more photos and content where in the background you can see the protesters and people in the street holding their cameras. Yeah. And I mean, I get chills kind of just talking about it because that in itself is an indication that these people know I need to record everything because this is fishy. Yeah. And I know that something is going to happen that's wrong. And I'll be damned if I let that go by without evidence, because right now it's like everyone needs their evidence. Yeah. And it's like that's what was so crazy for me. And, you know, citizen journalism used to be something that was just, you know, poo pooed in the past. But now it's something that I absolutely believe we need um, when there are people out on the ground floor experiencing this, seeing the the nuances of these these staged things that are trying to push people. It's just it's really, really crazy. And um, I think in that case, yeah, Twitter, um, you know, people used to say, don't get your news from Twitter, but we absolutely do right now. There's too much of it. And it's forcing people to see all sides, all sides. Yeah. I, I really believe right now we are seeing all sides for, for every post that is from one side of the argument. There are just as many posts for the other side. And people are being forced to do what they should have always done, which was don't trust one media outlet. Go to all the media outlets and make a decision for yourself. That's yeah. what people have always supposed to or should have done with their with their time and, and with their digestion of news. But now we're seeing it in this space and it's really forcing people to make their own decisions. And I think um, I don't know, I, I think it's pretty monumental. I, I, I agree. I think, um, like you said, you, you see so many different uh, experiences from it. You end up getting a pretty like well-rounded perception of what's going down. And I found that most of like the bullshit and misinformation sort of like filters out as the as the day goes on um and you mm. know you get people that have disproved stuff or someone's like oh people have been tweeting about this it didn't happen here's proof that it didn't happen um right and i i you know the dialogue is is long i mean i will say it gets exhausting monitoring after a few days so i mean you know about this but i don't think i've talked about it on the podcast so yesterday i did like a 12-hour stream uh mm -hmm. to benefit the minnesota freedom fund and we had you know just a variety of guests on to discuss we were 100 percent, you know politics social change revolution the whole time um mm. and uh you know leading up to that i wasn't sleeping much and i was monitoring just like all the news i could i wanted to be as informed as possible and uh yeah i just saw i saw so many like rises and falls of kind of the roller coaster of twitter news especially because there were just various hoaxes that were deployed throughout the day, like the DC blackout hashtag and stuff like that. Right. Um, and, and, and uh, yeah. And so, so it was very, very interesting study, but also just like when I finally finished that 12 hour stream and I was like, you know, I'm going to uh, take in Twitter news in a healthy amount again. I was like, wow, mm. that really, you know, that really does exhaust me. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And people are I mean, the, the news consumption is times 100 now. It, you know, it's 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 not regular news casting. It's it's, you know, on steroids, for lack of a better term. Like, no, it's a it lot right. of news. Um, and it's everywhere. And so it it's is everywhere yeah, too. it's everywhere. But um, I've been I've been surprised and delighted by some of the conversations that I've seen on my feed. I'm seeing terminology and debate that I never would have thought 
I'd witness on my Twitter timeline. Um, just, you know, kind of edging towards, uh, I guess, a, a little bit of conspiracy, a little, bit, a little bit of deep state, you know, that kind of stuff. So it's just like, it's been really interesting for me. But I think as someone who um, has always stood by unbiased media, unbiased news, um, to see it going in the hands of those people that are on the ground floor and keeping people up to date and keeping it truthful. Um, that's what fills my heart the most. And I think that's what's, yeah, making it such a historical uh, protest. No, I, I agree. I agree. I, I'm glad you said that. Uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, uh, so one thing I, I kind of talked about a little bit. So, you know, here I find myself, right? I've, I've been consuming, you know, the news uh, intensely. I've been really, uh, you know, kind of run, run through, run through the meat grinder, so to speak almost psychologically. Uh, so one thing we, we talked about when we were talking about making this episode is sort of spirituality, um, mm. uh, a little bit of esotericism. So I think that like, I think that, you know, engagement in the world, you know, uh, protesting solidarity, I think, I think this is all extremely important right now, but in the great context of the world, and I, I mean, it's going to continue to be important moving forward. It's always been important, but uh, I think especially like now that you know, there's active, uh, I would say government resistance to protesters. It's very, very important, you know? Um, mm -hmm. but you know, there is also something to be said as like, you sometimes you have to take a step back and, and care for yourself, you know, protect your own house, so to speak, so that you can, uh, you know, protect others. And, uh, if we're talking about, you know, the human spirit, I, you know, historically have been a real political junkie. Um, and I found in the past that, if I paid too much attention to politics, uh, I would, I would, you know, it would kind of send me into a dark spiral, uh, because mm -hmm. a lot of it is quite depressing. And, you know, I, so I started focusing a lot more on, on the spirit, uh, and, and sort of the outside, outside of whatever this plane of, of reality is, because this plane of reality can be quite, it can be quite brutal. And sometimes it feels like there's maybe no escape. So yeah, I wanted to dig into some of this. Hmm. No, I, I, I completely agree. There's, it's, uh, it definitely goes, well, it doesn't go hand in hand. I, I agree with your sentiment of that when you start divulging into this, you know, this political side of the world and, and soaking all of that in and focusing all your attention on that. I mean, it's just, it's like any example, if you start paying, okay, let's, let's put it into layman's terms that kind of takes it away, maybe from the severity of politics at this point in time. But like, let's think about just a woman who consistently picks up a tabloid magazine and wants to see the latest gossip about Brad, Brad Pitt and Jen. Sorry, I'm not up to date with what's latest. Um, yeah, let's say it's, know. you know, Brad Pitt and Jen. I have no idea. Brad and Jen. <laughs> Um, you know, every single week, this person checks in on the drama that is ensuing for this couple that has absolutely no relation to her whatsoever. But there's something that really builds up inside her when she does. She loves the gossip. It just keeps her going. Right. Um, that is an example of someone putting every single ounce of energy that they have to give to themselves to focus on what it is that they truly need to feel fulfillment. And pushing it onto, you know, these these anonymous people that she doesn't really know at all whatsoever. Um, and spirituality for me has has constantly been a conversation of just where you are shifting your energy, essentially. Um, and, and is that shift in energy um, crucial to creating a you know a fulfilled, like I said, empathetic, open-minded human being? 
Um, and I feel like obviously when people, people can negatively manifest for themselves by, by putting that energy too much into the wrong space. Um, if it really isn't working for, for what their deepest desires and needs are. Um, so I feel like in that way, kind of circling back to how you said, like, I, I completely agree for me. Um, I don't want to seem ignorant at all. And I, and I really haven't, you know, I haven't been spending the past week, you know, meditating and, and becoming my most spiritual self. I've been focusing that energy at a cause that I think is worthwhile, very, very worthwhile. And I think that that's very important. But, you know, in any other time of the year, you know, when you do get too sucked in to the rotation of news and negativity, whether it, you know, is from a political standpoint or a tabloid standpoint or a Twitter standpoint with, with, with stream or Twitter or whatever it is that you're doing with work, with, with negative energy, with work, it's like all of that does draw from you um, your spiritualism in a way. Um, and you have to be conscious of that and you really have to understand and weigh up what is the most important, um, you know, factors in your life? What What is it? Again, I hate to repeat myself, but what is it that gives you fulfillment and makes you feel um, at ease at the end of the day and like you're doing your bit um, in this world? And it's just, it's it's a lot and it's it's very convoluted and it's just, you know, directing your energy and real even realizing where your energy has been going negatively is a hard conversation to have with yourself. But I think it's the first conversation that you have before you start edging towards enlightenment. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely, I agree. Uh, I, you know, have, I have at various points in my life been, I would say, very different people. I remember when I was coming out of high school, I was 100% uh, committed to joining the Marine Corps, if you can believe it. I was, uh, I was wow. obsessed. I was training with this local group of, um, like, candidates that were being groomed for officership. And wow. it was just like, it was just like, hoorah, you know, like... Uh, you know, patriotism, uh, devil dog shit. And then, uh, you know, I even went into college and I was working on, uh, you know, my whole officer school application. There was a, uh, Marine Corps general, or I believe he was retired that worked at our school as a professor. And I remember I used to go and meet with him all the time and talk about that stuff. And I, I mean, honestly, I had, you know, I had a couple like letters of recommendations from like very, you know, prominent figures in the military. I just happened to know, you know, two generals and, uh, I like had potentially what could have been a, like a promising military career in front of me, but uh, then I, 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 I stopped doing it, and I stopped doing mm. it because I discovered uh, LSD, and oh I'm really God. glad I did discover LSD because in hindsight, I don't think that would have been a good road for me. But so mm. I guess my point is I've I've changed a lot, and so for me, you know, I was basically just full of rage uh coming into the you know military and i think they they know they know that a lot of kids are like that and those are a lot of kids that that a lot of times they try and recruit um to yeah. give them a purpose to give them a direction uh and, and so that you know i was a, a good example of that and so i was just pissed off you know i hated school i was working full-time and going to school and i just hated all of it and mm -hmm. i needed i don't know i needed to find something more and I always had a hard time doing that. I always thought about it, wondered about it, but I never really tapped into it. And for me, you know, LSD was sort of a lubricant for my, for my spirit to, uh, to explore outside of itself. I mean, the very first time I ever tripped, I, I experienced it. I experienced like this great feeling of love, uh, for, for humankind and a feeling of oneness that, you know, really jump started my spiritual exploration. And for that whole right. year, it was all about spirituality. I started taking classes on Buddhism um, wanting to really like really dig into a whole world I hadn't before. And ever since then I've been on that path. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, it was a massive pivot for me. I, mm. uh, I completely dropped 
you know, all, all, all of the military uh, endeavors and, and went in a very different direction. Yeah. I mean, I feel like a lot of people have similar stories. They may not have necessarily, um, I mean, for, for my own perspective, I didn't need um, LSD to get there, yeah. but it was like, it was definitely coming off the back of a lot of depressive, angry energy for sure. Mm -hmm. And then I can't really, a lot of it, you know, I was helped into a lot of the mindset from my brother and my current boyfriend for sure. Yeah. Because, and it kind of came at a time when I had been in a really, um, just, you know, mentally unhealthy relationship for about four years. And I lost so much of, of what drove me to do anything at all. You know, I thought I was definitely like, I, I will not ever, um, you know, talk, talk down on my upbringing or anything. You know, I'm so close with my family. Like I've had such a good life, but it was very segmented. It was very, I go to school, I go to university, I get a job and then, you know, so on and so forth with the cycle of life as we know it. And I was I was very stuck in that. I I had a boyfriend that I thought was, you know, the future, fully mm. committed and then I just I just lost my essence a bit. Um and towards the end of that relationship, I was just so understanding that I was just so far gone um from who I thought I was and I started realizing, "Oh my god, you know, you've piled on weight, you don't do anything creative, you're not writing, you know, I'm a, I'm a huge poet, I no poetry for the last four years, you know, things that just, I was just taking note of. And when I had had enough, I just had enough. And I just cut it off, it was done. And I just really never looked back. Um, in that time, I was living with my brother, and, and he was, you know, he's extremely well versed in philosophy and and taught me a lot and introduced me to a lot you know he would be able to rattle off names left right and center i'm terrible with names but one that really you know he's kind of a pseudo philosopher um but more so a writer and a lecturer which is alan watts which i'm sure you're familiar with oh yeah very alan much watts. so yeah yeah so alan watts for me was kind of like my single source through finding myself um, and then, you know, in that time of just kind of like really freeing myself from the baggage I had had from this perceived life, um, you know, I, I opened myself again, to your point, to, to love and just like loving people. Um, and very quickly, I was loving myself. And then very quickly, I found someone else um, who could love me too and teach me even more, which is my current partner who um, also just kind of opened myself to open me rather to different kinds of just examples of the, you know, the mystery, uh, mystery of life, you know, even down to just geology and things like that. So there was a lot to it. And I honestly, I look back on that six months of me really kind of coming to enlightenment, uh, enlightenment and, and meditating and focusing on texts and, and, and poetry and lectures. And just I look back on it with fondness. And now it's kind of it feels like it's something that's second nature to me, but I can definitely tell when I'm not giving it the attention that it, it needs, which I feel recently I haven't, um, you know, which kind of also leads me to my decisions to just kind of like pull back or, or how I explain I'm overstimulated. Let me put all the toys back in the toy box and like take them out categorically and like kind of see what it is that I want to focus on. But yeah, it's like I, I feel like people often do just have a moment of realizing that they have reached this point of depressive or, or re just raw anger inside them. And then that's what kind of either pushes them to change um, into openness or, you know, they remain stagnant. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, I, I've, I've, 
I know a lot of friends I have are, are members of the punk rock scene, right? And so uh, mm. punk rock was a huge source of me finding value. It was one of the first times I really felt like a part of something. And then, you know, now now Twitch, I would say, is kind of an extension of that. But um, there's an interesting level of, like, spirituality in a lot of punk rock as well. It, mm. uh, it especially, like, the Bad Brains, for example, they're a hardcore punk band out of D.C. that had this concept, PMA, they talk about positive mental attitude. Uh, it was a whole interesting kind of hardcore thing about like, like rage against the machine, but like not letting the machine kind of break you down and like maintaining this like kind of positive oriented mindset and like making shit happen. Um, but yeah. And so I definitely think that's frequently a, a place that people, people find spirituality. So Alan Watts, it's interesting that you mentioned Alan Watts. Um, mm -hmm. A big thing for me that kind of helped me uh, embark on a journey of spirituality was studying Zen Buddhism. And even though I'm not a Zen Buddhist, I am, uh, you know, still draw a lot from that. And Alan Watts also draws a lot from that. Uh, right. And, 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 and that's, so that's quite cool. That's quite cool. And so now I think, as you know, we talked about this a little bit before the show. I'm, I'm a member of the Temple of Satan, which isn't actually very much a spirituality thing at all. It's more mm -hmm. of a political action group than anything else. But it does have some, uh, some anchor in spirituality, or at least religious right. iconography. Hmm. Yeah, I was uh, I was curious when we were talking about it earlier and I started doing my own little deep dive into the fundamentals. And yeah, it didn't read to me at all um, as something that was overtly spiritual. But, you know, as I said to you, mm -hmm. um, I have a bit of a trust issue when it comes to institutions of any kind. But I absolutely, yeah. absolutely like look into all of it. And especially the same as you, I was interested in Zen Buddhism when um, I started reading a little bit more and listening to a bit more of Alan Watts. But the thing that I really take from Alan Watts um, is the present thinking side of things, which was something, you know, it, it's kind of like, I can't remember where the quote came from or, or where the conversation came from. But oftentimes when people find themselves listening to spiritual lectures or reading spiritual books or texts, um, you kind of read a sentence that says something that you always innately knew and in a way you find yourself laughing. Have you ever had that experience? Oh, yeah, many times, many times. I, almost like a lot of my philosophical journey has been that of like reading something by an ancient philosopher that clicks. And I'm like, I've always felt this, but I never had the words to describe it. Exactly. And and that was definitely I felt that the most with the present thinking side of spirituality, because it it makes so much sense to me now and it, it it answers so many questions for me when i am um and i just know when i'm not as well uh so and i felt like for me alan watts was the guy who really put that into layman's terms and 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 allowed me to understand what it was that i needed to do to be happier i guess um and you know kind of like less less insecure i suppose um but yeah that's yeah i um so wait I kind of want to ask you a question in terms of kind of where do you feel like you sit more spiritually if, you know, the the Temple of Satan is, you know, kind of categorized in that political side of things? Yeah. So they, yeah, very much join them for political reasons. I mean, I, I do enjoy the iconography, like the idea of, of Satan is is the accuser, the one who questions things as they are. You know, that's mm. that's the reason I, I chose the Temple of Satan um, more than anything else. And that's, I think, what a lot of people don't get about it. It's it's all about it's all about questioning the establishment, um, right? And, and and especially, you know, there's specific causes they're very involved in, like questioning this, you know, the separation of church and state they want to maintain. And you know, truthfully, in the U.S., we have a, like a lot of times the state and Christianity are tied pretty closely together. Um, um, 
But yeah, so okay, so for me, as far as as far as the spirit goes, I okay, I think that anyone that tells you they have it figured out is lying to you. Um, yeah. That's that's a big part of of my belief system. I think that okay, so there's another thing that ties into this, right? Science. I want to talk about science just briefly. I think that science now was in magic back in you know the middle ages or whatever are very much the same phenomenon i think that people that were deemed wizards back in like you know the king arthur days i don't even know if king arthur was real but like just say hypothetically he was uh merlin was likely just the, the most intelligent guy at the time who knew some things that we could maybe accomplish with modern science you know now or maybe not even close to modern science but like at the time groundbreaking right like even if you were just uh, I don't know. I'm trying to think of something, you know, even if you just had like a lighter back mm. in like the King Arthur days, you would be a wizard. They're like, how, how does they, how do they generate fire out of that small, like magical device? Right. And so for me, magic is a word that's quite frequently, uh, used to, to kind of describe, you know, maybe things that we cannot yet categorize or cannot yet understand, but a lot of times comes from the same physical world as like the sciences do. But I also think that there's more than just that scientific understanding of things. I mean, I, I think as I've come to realize things through my journeys, not only with like psychedelics, but also with just speaking to many people, I believe there are absolutely uh, dimensions beyond our comprehension mm -hmm. um, that, that, you know, humans and any individual human can never truly hope to understand. And that's okay. I think, I don't think that's a bad thing. I, I think a lot of people feel like they have to have all the answers. And I, I've always felt like it's kind of this, this hubris thing. Um, a question mm -hmm. I get asked all the time in philosophy is like, Oh, if we don't have all the answers, then what's the point? But like, there's a, there's a point in the journey itself, I would argue. Uh, and mm -hmm. there's also the idea that one person is going to somehow give humanity the answers and solve humanity's problem. This weird hero complex has always kind of bothered me. Like, first right. of all, that we even need a hero, but second of all, that you'd be the one to be that hero. Uh, I don't know. Like, you know, it's okay to just be a traveler on the path of, of, of life, so to speak. That's what I think. And um, you search for, you know, whatever, whatever knowledge you can, but likely every, you know, supposed answer you find also leads to a new series of questions. So it's this, it's this journey that's that, that the, 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 the journey itself is valuable though. And so for me with, with spirituality and asking these questions of, you know, what is real? What is, what is the nature of our reality? Um, it's all about, it's all about continuing to question and continuing to discover more and more. Uh, and one thing that really intrigues me about this is there's a, yeah, I'm sure <laughs> now we're getting like very Joe Rogan, but DMT is, you know, I don't know how familiar you are with DMT, but I'm, I'm very familiar with DMT only from the perspective that I've listened, as I said to you earlier, to a lot of Flying Lotus and his Your Dead album is very much uh. based on the experience of DMT. And he had a 3D show to accompany him when he performed that set for that album. Um, and the way that he starts that, and this is probably the closest, let me be honest, this will be the closest I get to DMT, yeah. but he starts that set, um, by kind of just, you know, having a bit of a chin wag with the crowd. And then he says, F it, you're dead. And then he starts it. And that whole album is supposed to carry you through this experience that he had had, um, at that time, I suppose. And it, it's in that case, when you know that and you listen to it, it hits a little differently, Yeah. but I do have an understanding of DMT and what it is supposed to unlock in a human. Um, 
Well, and it's organic scared. to the human as well. The whole you're dead thing. I mean, it's it's exactly. uh, it releases upon, you know, near death or, or intensely uh, uh, intense experiences, which is like very interesting because these whole practices of ancient religions of fasting and starvation and, you know, meditating for days on end is all, you know, to achieve this quote unquote state of enlightenment. But also mm -hmm. what happens when you fast for days on end uh, or meditate for days on end without stopping is your body's under such extreme stress that it does release DMT. And then, of mm -hmm. course, if you have a near death, you release a lot of it. Um, and so, yeah, okay. So so that is, I'm glad you know that, so I don't have to kind of explain that. <laughs> um, but, you know, of course, people also can, you know, smoke DMT and, and things like that. Um, anyway, okay, so that's, that's now that that's been established, the, 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 the thing that really compels me about uh, alternate dimensions. We have this established what, what DMT is, you know, it releases upon death. It's organic to just about every living creature on earth. Um, why? Right. It, I mean, who knows why, but I know that there is this very interesting phenomenon with DMT experiences where common imagery and symbolism is seen, uh, across, you know, nations across, you know, areas of the world, people that have never contacted each other, people that have never come in touch with the internet there are, you know, common images that are seen. And to me, that is really uh, compelling. You know, how mm. is that even possible? Like there's a psychologist argument where you could say, well, if people go in expecting to see something, they're going to see it fair. But, you know, these are people that have never interacted. Um, right. And, you know, a right. big one is the machine elves or the clockwork elves is, a, is one of the really common ones. These little, you know, these creatures that seem to be operating this like large, you know, mechanical contraption. Um, they're like very, you know, very... Uh, <laughs> kind of geometric but they they yes. sing objects into being and and it's you know this very bizarre image but you know you hear about it so often from dmt experiences that has always seemed to me like maybe just a little whisper of of some some you know parallel dimension or afterlife i don't know i, I mean or, i'm not going to pretend to know but yeah i mean or even on just a, a really simple perspective the collective consciousness yeah. i mean what do people mean when they say that I, I think it's something that's probably leaning itself into this experience a bit because absolutely we all are are interconnected i think the biggest secret that's being held back from humanity is what we can achieve when we all come together oh, yeah. um, oh, I, <laughs> you know, I, think, to, I would argue that's what the system wants to keep you from realizing well exactly um you know to to your point of even going back to to, to merlin and praising those uh, people that were able to bring so much value and information with their discoveries and, and putting them on a pedestal you know that's that's all changed we don't put these kinds of discoveries on a pedestal anymore in fact we want to keep them as far away from our people why you know our our biggest heroes now are just in the you know it's just celebrity, isn't it? It's You're right. That's, that's, they have become we... the new gods in many ways, I would argue. Exactly. Um, so I think, yeah, it's no, that's the kind of stuff though, that just, it just makes me want to know more. And it gives that it's in itself, you even talking to that and, you know, us kind of just laughing over, yeah, that's probably the collective consciousness right there in, in play. Um, that's what gives me a lot of comfort when I think about death. And obviously I spoke to you about being mm. very uncomfortable with death. It's those things that make me feel really at ease with whatever comes next um, and viewing it more like an intermission rather than a, you know, forever winter, I suppose. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's that whole discovery um you know i wish i was a little bit more ballsy and i could do those things because maybe it would provide me with even more comfort um 
but yeah, I just sometimes they're overhyped. Honestly, I've, I've done, I've done, you know, a lot, uh, in that field. I've, I don't know. I, I don't really keep count, but I've done at least, I've done asked at least a hundred times and I've, I've done a lot oh, wow. of other things as well. And half of the time it's bullshit. Honestly, half the time it's right. just like, you're like, you know, looking at a colorful spiral on the ground and you're like, wow, this is the most amazing thing. And then afterwards you're like, <laughs> I was like, you know, it's cool, but it's fine. That's fine. You know, it's fun to just kind of have a fun, whimsical experience. Um, right. And I've also had a lot of really dark, terrifying experiences. Sometimes those are the most meaningful. But then, you know, I've had a few, I've had a few really significant ones where I did feel very tapped into a collective consciousness. And that's, that's a common thing with acid as well. Um, if you're ever to watch, there's a documentary on Netflix recently that came out called Have a Good Trip. A lot of people talk about it. A lot of people have that similar notion and I, I don't think that's a coincidence, honestly. Um, yeah. No, I don't believe in coincidences. Yeah, yeah. Well, you even said it the other day. You mentioned synchronicities, uh, yeah. and I said thank you. <laughs> synchronicity, indeed. Yeah, indeed. It's a real thing. It is. Oh, absolutely. Synchronicity and numerology was completely definitive on why I moved to Los Angeles. No way, huh? So I don't know yeah. actually much about numerology. I've, I mean, I know it has to do with numbers, right? That's it. That's like the beginning and end of my knowledge of numerology. So I'd love to know more about that. I mean, it pretty much it is, it, but it's it's the understanding that numbers and reoccurring numbers are, you know, that of not coincidence, but rather synchronicity and a greater kind of overarching power. Um, uh, OK, OK. There's there's a lot to get into it. And I probably don't know as much as, you know, some other people out there for, for sure. Um, but, you know, the easiest way that I think people consume numerology without even realizing that they are is, have you ever heard of people calling it angel numbers when they see numbers uh, in the yeah. sequence of three? I have yeah. heard this. Yeah, I have heard this. Right. But numerology goes down to uh, your name and your birthday and the, the time of which you were born, much like astrology. Okay. Um, you know, your karma, your, your, your cosmic karma that you can carry through many lives can be dictated by those factors of who you are, um, you know, kind of the time of which you came into the world uh, can dictate, I guess, you know, what you have to work on in this life, if you want to look at it that way. So there's a lot to it. There's a lot that you can take from it and, and believe or choose not to believe. Um, for me, it probably has been a little bit more of sequencing. But when I started looking into, um, you know, the application of numbers as a, you know, telling of your your karma in this life you know for me it was you know i had a number that kind of told me that there was a lot that i needed to work on from an insecurity perspective mm. um which what a lot of what it told me made a lot of sense to me in my situation and then someone like my brother who has to be one of the smartest people i know just one of those minds that just kind of leave you in silence when he said when he speaks you know because he just he speaks so much truth and he you know like we were saying when we read a book or we we read something and it's like wow someone put that in terms that you know i read this and i understand that and i've always felt that but now you put it in terms and i understand it even more he can speak that to you um and that's why he was fundamental in my my kind of exploration of spirituality he had zero karma yeah. And I remember getting chills when I when I discovered that and kind of dove into it. What is, we so both what would sat zero there. be? What, is there like negative? This is all new to me. So, I you know, I don't know exactly what that would mean, you know, like. So with zero karma, it's almost as if you 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 figured it out, even though we've kind of spoken on the fact that most people are they're probably lying. Right. Um, and I feel like I still witness my brother, you know experiencing a lot that is unfamiliar with him and he still needs to sift his way through but from a karma perspective he has something figured out 
and I wasn't surprised when I saw that. It was it was kind of like almost in a I don't want to say this too much because it's kind of a bit morbid but it's almost like yeah you're at the end of your journey here pal like you've you've kind of got it oh yeah um, okay I, I, wait no that makes a lot of sense in terms of like buddhism and in reincarnation you live these many lives and the cycle of samsara the cycle of suffering and then eventually you reach the life where you can attain nirvana correct and it's also like you know if, if you're experiencing something now and you're working through something now it's it's not hard to believe that you probably have experiences in the past and you just haven't you haven't worked it out yet. You haven't worked out the kink, essentially. Um, so, I mean, that's that's one side of it. Um, you know, I put numerology to bed probably not too long ago just because, look, as I said, I haven't been my most spiritual self and I haven't been doing the practices that um, kind of keep me in tuned with everything that's around me. Um, but ahead of my journey to Los Angeles, uh, sequence numbers were what told me that I need to head over here. And it was because I was seeing a lot of ones, actually. Um, mm. And I didn't stop seeing ones until I until I got over here. But it traced back to, you know, I was um, just going to give a little bit of personal history. Um, my boyfriend and I met on Twitch uh, and our, no our yeah, no yeah, our, yeah, our relationship was purely long distance for about seven months. Wow. Um, wow. Wow. OK. Yeah, yeah, and it was it was very we we clicked between the ears. It was a total soul thing, you know, because we would spend 9 to 13 hours on the phone just talking about all this stuff and just learning everything that there was to learn about each other. And it was it really taught me what real love is supposed to feel like because I had never ever in my time of all the boyfriends and all the dating spent so much time getting to know a person like that and um you know we would go on these little you know rabbit holes of you know what does this lead to like wh what does this number mean what does that mean and blah 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 and you know we're learning so much with each other um and it was around the time that i was going to plan to go visit him because he's the yeah, la local and i was thinking about the last time that i had been in los angeles and you know through the time that we had been talking I, we'd been noticing you know 11 11 it just kept popping up and, and 11 11 is so trite everyone talks about 11 11 make a wish like you know oh, and yeah. well you know i kind of like laugh from afar because i guess you could you could turn that into something more significant um you know it is it is pretty well known that you know to, to just make a wish at 11 11 and just you know move on Right, but we right. noticed it, we, and we were into numerology, so we were, we were very much paying attention to it, all the numbers, you know, all the sequences we would see. But we were talking about when was the last time, you know, I came to California, and it was on Flight 11 on November 11th, <laughs> wow. 2011. Yeah, so it was, it was Flight 11, November 11th, 2011. And I remember, you know, getting that flight and getting that ticket and my my mom and me saying to each other like we, we didn't understand you know it said it seemed like it meant something but we didn't understand at that time and then when i discovered it later with with michael and and we were kind of just in awe of it um it just continued from there everything was really you know hinged on this 11 number um and then it didn't stop until i got here um and it felt like that path that was very much being drawn out for me i'd come to the end of it and now it's kind of just, you know, splitting and, and going in different directions that I'm trying to get back in touch with again. But for me, that that was something that was very much a, a spiritual moment um, and definitely helped me kind of tap into that side that I probably hadn't even paid attention to in the past. OK, wow, that's very compelling stuff. I mean, uh, especially, you know, I, I, I've also met, uh, you know, my current partner through Twitch, uh, I think, as yes. you know. Um, yes. <laughs> and yeah, you know, I, I'm. 
I'm very much a person that's uh, uh, fundamentally interested in, in the soul bond, if you will. I, uh, I'm all about having conversations that are like real and, uh, you know, say deep quote unquote, um, you know, that, that's, that's, that's always been a, a driving force in my life. Even before I kind of started, uh, on a path of self-discovery, it's actually, I always tell people it's why I got into smoking cigarettes, which is a terrible habit, but I would go to all these parties in high school <laughs> And I hated being in the main inside area where everyone was like screaming and yelling and playing beer pong because I wanted to like have a conversation with someone. And yeah. it was always like out in the smoking area where it was quiet enough and there was like people willing to have a discussion. Yep. But I yep. mean, that, there's a lot of value in that. Uh, there's a lot of value in that. Well, yeah. Wow. Okay. That was. Uh, yeah. So I guess were you uh, were you born in, in Australia or? No. So I was born in Atlanta, Georgia. Okay. And... Oh wow. Oh yeah. I spent a lot of time yeah. there. I spent a lot of time there. <laughs> well, you probably have spent way more time than I have, which is, I want to go and I want to, you know, understand a little bit more, but really it was a birthplace because most of my family's from Florida. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. I'm from Florida. Wild. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so... Born and raised in Tallinnastie and I uh, spent four years in Jacksonville and I just moved to Nashville like a, four months ago or something like that. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I believe my dad lived in Jacksonville for a little bit, but they, they're Palm Beachers. Oh, wow. Isn't that down yes. in like South Florida? Uh, I, I mean, my, my geography, because <laughs> I've lived 21 years of my life in Australia. So I've always right. had this like butcher, butchered accent and, you know, misunderstanding of the country. Um, so, yeah. So I most of the time when I go over there, I'm 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 posted up in in West Palm. Okay. Um, but yeah, but they were they they were raised in Stewart, Florida, if that's if you're familiar. I, I or actually not am familiar. very familiar with uh, very familiar with Stewart. I had a friend really? that used to be in like a. Uh, like a reggae band out of Stewart. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Crazy. God, such a small world. Yeah. yeah so wild. Okay. Yeah. So 21 years in Australia, um, romanticized the hell out of America for reasons I now can't on, cannot understand. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, well, I mean the narrative of America, we talked about this last, the narrative of America is this like land of land of freedom and opportunity, but, mm. um, you know, mm. it's obviously there's a lot of there, well, the thing is, is going to school in America, right? Going through all my primary school in America, it's amazing the selective information they choose to provide you with. Like yes. as I've as I've gone through my life and studied a lot more alternative perspectives, you see just how much they leave out of the history books, right. and how they'll put all these figures on a pedestal, but not talk about like their like awful dark sides. Right. Um, and you know. They they very much graze over stuff like like what happened, you know, as far as the colonialization of the U.S. Mm. And, and what what the U.S., you know, originally kind of citizens of America did to the Native Americans. They gloss over so much of it. Mm. They're like, oh, yeah, it was bad, but, you know, it's better now. That's like kind of what mm. they say, which is not the case. And, uh, mm. you know, it's very similar. They also very much kind of glaze over slavery as well. They definitely like devote a little bit of time to it, but they don't even really do it any justice as far as kind of the human atrocity was and so i think america you know there are good things about america for sure but uh america has gotten very good at peddling a narrative to make people uh look past uh a lot of the things that we should be taking a lot more responsibility for and for mm -hmm. me it's like if we don't take responsibility for it uh that's what it leads to a lot of people ignoring the problem which is what leads to the problem continuing um yeah and so yeah but no i get it i get it though because a lot of people uh, maybe not anymore, uh, but for for a very long time, had like a very positive perspective on America. Mm. No, yeah, so did I. I mean, I, and I, yeah, I'm a completely different person politically than I was, you know, kind of growing up and and sifting my way through stuff. I feel like most countries, 
are pretty good at, you know, covering up the dark sides, um, you know, of how they were founded. Uh, the, the fact isn't to kind of just circle back on, on spirituality. Most philosophers and spiritual people will say that you can't have the light sides without the dark sides. You know, a mountain doesn't go up on one side and just that's it. Um, it has to come down. And so it's like you need to be able to reflect and witness and understand the dark to even begin to appreciate and work towards the light. Um, so it doesn't make any sense to cover any of this up and it doesn't help anyone at all. Um, you know, just from, from a humanity perspective, from just, from, it's, it's literally caging people's empathy. Um, if, if kids were learned, were taught rather, um, empathy from an earlier age, you know, who knows the kind of, the kind of community that we could create. Um, so yeah, it's, it's just doing a disservice, but you know. It's pushing an agenda, um, and, and I think a lot of people are aware of that now, especially now. Oh, yeah, I definitely think so. I'm glad to see how many people are, are, are increasingly aware of it and are increasingly critical of things that have been peddled as, like, truths for so long. Mm -hmm. um, conditioning. Yeah, yeah, conditioning. A lot of people are questioning their uh, programming now. Uh, you know, I don't mm -hmm. know if you've seen this show, Mr. Robot. It's a very excellent show. Uh, <laughs> I haven't. I know of it, but I haven't. It's a very excellent show kind of about, about that. Um, you know, anyways, it, I'm not going to get into it too much, but it is it is a good one. It, it's all about, you know, essentially uh, I, what was the whole motto for the show? Your democracy has been hijacked. And uh, it's very telling about what the show is uh, is kind of about. But right. Yeah. So, OK, so we've you know, we've done a good solid hour here. I really enjoyed our discussion. <laughs> I, you know, I don't want to take up too much more of your time here. Um, I'm, I mean, I'm having fun, but <laughs> yeah, well, honestly, me too. You know what we could do is we could uh, we could we could do, you know, part two for sure. This is. Well, this will be the, I guess, probably the first podcast I'm releasing that's an interview. Uh, I'm likely going to chop up some stuff from the 12 hour stream the other day. But uh, yeah, so sure. Thank you so much for making the time to come on. I, I've had so much, as we were saying, it is, it is really great to have such compelling conversation and to just discuss things with like-minded individuals. And yeah, I mean, I would love to do a part two because we didn't even get into existentialism or, or death, really. The oh, comfort yeah. of death. That sounds amazing. And I want to know actually. more on your side. Yeah, yeah, I would no. Love to. That's I mean, you know, like definitely, definitely. I'm, I'm excited about that. It'll be cool. You know, honestly, in a way, I, I also I like to save stuff uh, uh, sometimes so that I can come into like another conversation with the same kind of like intensity. For sure, absolutely. I'm completely on board with that. Okay, well, so I'm gonna write. I'm gonna even gonna write that down. I'm gonna write that down right now. Existentialism and death. Uh, <laughs> yeah, because I wrote, I prepared, I wrote down the first existential experience that I had that I could remember. Wow. Um, and I wanted to know yours as well. So I would really like to just like take some time to, to, to discuss when we started having those feelings. Oh, yeah. I'm, I, so I've wrote it down. It'll be it'll be and next time we have a conversation, which will likely be sooner rather than later. Uh, we'll, talk, sure. we'll talk existential and death. But uh, amazing until then is so, you know, call to action, right? Uh, you know, you've you've come on here and given me your time. Where, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter. OK, yeah, <laughs> to, to just, you know, go back to the where this all began um, right now. You can you can find me on Twitter and Twitch. Carlito Carls. I'm brand centric across everything. Instagram, whatever have you. Um, as I mentioned or touched on briefly, I am taking a little hiatus uh, from streaming as I kind of realize you know or, or think more deeply about what it is that i want to do and where i want to take my content um but there's plenty of content up there um you can join my discord through that i'm going to be remaining very active supporting friends sitting in your stream as well major so Amazing. um but yeah you know what i kind of want to say like you know 
just keep keep a lookout, you know, because I think I think I'm I think I'm edging towards something that's going to be very cool. But, you know, just keep your eyes peeled. Amazing. Amazing. And so, yeah. So so like you said, brand center across all platforms. I know you create on Twitch. Uh, amazing. Yes. So cool. Well, thank you so much uh, for the conversation. And uh, we will be talking to you again soon. Awesome. Thank you. All right. Massive thank you to Carlito Carls for coming on the podcast. I really enjoyed this discussion. Moving forward with the podcast format, it's going to be mostly interviews. From now on, I have a few in the bank. I've got a few coming up. I'm really excited to sort of showcase all the, all the people I have for this first round of interviews. If you enjoyed the show, please check out Carlito's. Uh, her links will be in the, bi- uh, the show notes. And please, if you have the time and if you like the show, give us a five-star rating on whatever your favorite podcast player is. Maybe it's iTunes. Maybe it's something else. I don't think Spotify has ratings, but it does a lot to help the show. And until then, much love. Maybe I'll see you on Twitch. Or maybe I'll see you on Twitter. Or maybe I'll see you in the Discord. Who knows? But until then, later, gamers.